this is why you know a lot of people say, oh, Facebook's listening with their microphone. They're not actually listening with their microphone. Uh, the truth is actually scary here in that they have built a model of you that is so accurate that they know the things that you're going to be thinking about and talking about. Hollywood celebrities generally aren't known for their breadth of intellect or depths of wisdom, which is why the recent star-studded social media boycott to fight back against online hatred. It didn't quite work. It was embarrassing. It was worthless. What? You didn't hear about this? No one could blame you if you missed the big boycott because it's already over. Now, to be fair, social media is full of racial hatred, political misinformation, distortions, and outright lies. So to combat the problem, big celebrities with big names like Leonardo DiCaprio, Kim Kardashian, Ashton Kutcher, Katy Perry, and others, they announced that they would boycott their Instagram accounts for 24 hours. Wow, a whole day. What a sacrifice that must have been for them. Now, of course, these celebs have tens of millions of social media followers, and we can't afford to lose them or lose our endorsements and our influencer money, can we? So let's just check social media and see if all the hate is gone. Hmm. Darn it. It's all still there. It's that hatred, among other things, that's changing society. As human beings come to depend on Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and other sites for their source of so many things, from positive affirmations, gosh, you look so great, to the latest news on anything from COVID-19 to the stock market to politics, you name it. Now, I normally don't like to watch films about tech. Most of the time, they get it wrong. Like, you ever notice how many times a hacker is shown hunched over a computer keyboard in a hoodie just hacking a password? Well, in this Tech You Should Know podcast, it's about a tech movie, a docudrama to be exact. It's The Social Dilemma on Netflix, and I gave it a shot. Really, I thought I'd only watch the first five or ten minutes, call the director a dope with an agenda, or just ignorant and move on. Well, that didn't happen. I like the docudrama so much, I reached out and arranged a time for me to speak with Jeff Orlowski, the director of the movie. I wanted to know more, the behind-the-scenes stuff, and really, how did he get so many bigwigs in social media, like the president of Pinterest, to talk dirt about social media and how we're being manipulated by these companies so that they can make more money? Hey, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. I have to tell you, I watched The Social Dilemma last night on Netflix with my 19-year-old son. It was excellent. Um, What was the most surprising thing about social media you learned putting this docudrama together? Yeah, um, it's hard to have a single answer for that because it was like three years of constant mind-blowing observations. Um, I think the asymmetry of power, like how much power they have over us, that was a real shocking part of this. Um, How uh, effective they are at making money and generating money, that was a huge part of this. Um, Just realizing how we've sort of been living in this warped sense of reality. You know, these platforms have basically broken down our information ecosystem. If you think about like our natural ecosystem and climate change is affecting nature and how that ecosystem functions, these social media platforms have basically ripped apart the way information is distributed um, and and how different people get different types of news. So uh, I could rattle on a a list for quite a long time, but this really was a mind-blowing experience to dive into this research and to, to study this for the last three years. 
you know, because we've all heard about like ad tracking and then there's big tech and algorithms. But I don't know if anybody really understands how pervasive that can be. I mean, why we see an ad here or why if we get to the end and we we're keep doom scrolling that we suddenly see more clickbait if we even try to move away. And would you agree that we're all just being taken advantage of, exploited? Because I'll tell you, that's totally what I felt uh, at the end of watching The Social Dilemma. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, if we're talking about the social media platforms and specifically about the companies that use an advertising business model, they make more money. Their incentives are for us to spend more time on the platform. And one of the ways that that happens is by giving us customized information and customized feeds. It's 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 not just one like one singular problem. It's a handful of different compounding problems that have overlapped. But the end result is, for the last decade or so, they've really perfected this business model of extracting, taking from us, from humanity, um, in a, as a means to create their money. If you think about that, if you think about um, these are free products, right? Like for us, the public, I don't pay anything to search Google or to use Facebook or to go on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, et cetera. It doesn't cost us anything, yet they're worth hundreds of billions of dollars. And to say that they're just putting an ad in front of us is way too simplified of a, of, of a comment. Uh, it is really this manipulation infrastructure that has been built out where the purpose and intention is to change our behavior. And it exists at scale now in a massive, massive way that is reshaping society. It's actually changing uh, the way our society functions and is structured. And that's a very key point. First of all, is that anytime something's free on the internet, you're the product. That's the bottom line. Yes. Yeah. If you're not paying for the product, you are the product. Correct. And, you know, you, so people jump on Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, TikTok, I mean, whatever it may be, and there's going to be more to follow. And I don't really think they understand that how much they are being manipulated. I mean, we talk about it in a general sense. Get down into some granular levels of, of ways that people are really, truly being manipulated in what they see in their feed. Yeah. Um, let me paint uh, this analogy that uh, one of our engineer experts kind of shared with me, he was a former head of product at Twitter. And he, he spends a bit of time talking about, okay, if you are an algorithm, you're a rational thinking computer program, and your goal is to increase revenue, how do you do it? Like, what can you do? So you're the user, you know, out in the real world, and I'm, I'm the algorithm over here. And I'm trying to figure out how can I get you to see more ads? There are a couple different ways they can do that, right? They can get you to spend more time on the platform. They can give you a bigger network. So every time you post something, there are more people that might see it and more people that might see advertisements. They can change how many advertisements you see every time you're online and add load. This, as well as many other things, are now programmed by machine learning algorithms that optimize what's going to get you to spend more time and to see more ads. So they're testing a bunch of content, right? For some people, it might be, jewelry and makeup that works for other people it might be sports for some people it might be politics and the algorithm will keep throwing stuff at you to see what works and to keep you coming back um, they can help you grow your network so i remember when when i first started using facebook you have three mutual friends with somebody or five mutual friends <laughs> yeah. and it would say these are people you may know 
And now if you look at people you may know, and they're like, there are 150 mutual friends. <laughs> I don't know most of those people. Like, I don't know the vast majority of those people. Yet it has successfully gotten me to build my network bigger and bigger and bigger, such that every time I post, there are more possibilities for those engagements. And it's also throttling the ad load. So these are just a, a couple of things where algorithms are running the system that are... Uh, in many ways, puppeteering what our engagements are, right? It's optimized to try to get us to come back. Now, some of that might seem pretty innocent, but when we start talking about news and politics, when we start talking about, you know, the majority of Americans get their news now from social media sources. Which is frightening. It, it is frightening, right? The majority of Americans get their news from social media. And in many cases, uh, well, in all cases, like those people are getting very customized personalized view of information, right? The idea of customized news should just be like contradictory. Like that shouldn't exist. Like we shouldn't have personalized news at this level. And it makes it harder and harder now because we've been running this experiment on society for, you know, a decade or whatever. Now people are getting personalized worldviews that makes it more and more challenging to have a conversation with somebody that you might disagree with politically. I, I've been encouraging people, you know, if there's somebody that you disagree with, um, ask to see their Facebook feed and show them your Facebook feed. Trade phones for a little bit and take a look at what information they are being fed and what information you are being fed and question that for yourself. I, I had learned in this process uh, at one point that I had learned that Russia was pushing out anti-fracking information. And I'm not... Personally, I wasn't a huge fan of fracking. I think it's problematic. And then I was learning that fracking was being instigated, like this message around fracking was being instigated um, through Russian propagandists. And I was like, why do I believe what I believe? How do I know what's true anymore? These, these systems have allowed anything to come inbound, you know, kind of circumnavigating uh, journalistic um, due diligence and anything can go onto these platforms and spread virally and, and whatever sticks. So going back to the, your question around manipulation, there are so many different layers of manipulation here. Um, it's the reason why we feel the, this addictive pull to the platforms. It's also the reason why I think a lot of people are having all sorts of individual consequences, whether from the, self, uh, from the mental health and self-harm side of the equation all the way to the um, conspiracy theories, misinformation, and political polarization side. You know, you, you bring up an interesting point because I think it was probably, what, 20 years ago? I don't know how old you are, but, you know, we used to have, like, like civilized political discussions around the kitchen counter, right? And we would talk about pros and cons. And it seems that anytime you try to have that conversation now, boy, tempers flare. People get so angry. Okay. And, and that's one of the things that I've, I've always done with my show is that we don't talk politics, right? Never have, never will. But now it seems that people are taking politics on this whole other level. And I think it has a lot to do with social media. Do you? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I completely agree. And I agree with you. You know, there was a time, you know, in, in many of our memories where things weren't so politically riled up uh, between the left and the right. Uh, there was a time where people didn't ex people weren't expected to have an opinion on everything. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> like there are plenty of conversations where it's like, I know nothing about that. 
<laughs> I don't know what to say about that subject matter. I can't offer anything constructive. Let's go find an expert. Let's go read a book. Let's go, you know, look, do some research. But, but now it feels like everybody has a predetermined opinion about everything in a way that is not really informed by thoughtful research or, you know, deep reading or listening to professionals who are only thinking about that subject matter. And it almost seems like everybody's an expert on everything because, oh, I read it in a tweet or, oh, I, you know, I formulated my opinion on this because I saw something funny. I saw a funny a meme on this. Right. And, and now that's my stance on it. And I don't know, there's, there's a warping of how we're able to have civil conversation that has been one of my biggest concerns. And, and like you said, this is not a matter of like what politics you believe in. Regardless of what you believe in, there is an opposing opinion that's equally going viral and equally being amplified by another algorithm somewhere out there. And it, it's almost, it, this is why we worked on this film. It's issue agnostic. It is a foundational underlying technology. It's a system. It's a program that is polarizing our civilization by design. Hey, if you love this digital stuff and you love to be on the cutting edge of what's going on, sign up for Kim's Breaking Tech News. So we've got security alerts, we've got data breaches, and much more digital know-how. It's the free Commando newsletters. You can get yours, again, free at commando.com, which is K-O-M-A-N-D-O. And on the top, click on the Get the Newsletters button, and you got them. Next up, how much data do these websites really have on you? How'd they get it? You're not going to want to miss it. It's coming up on Tech You Should Know. So the, the tracking, I don't think a lot of people realize, and I'm sure you know this, is that when you are signed into Facebook, okay, and you just leave it signed in, and you go about your business and you start doing your email and you're having Zoom calls or whatever it may be, is that the tracking now continues because you, le you left Facebook open. When you were putting this film together, did you come across any number? Because I'll tell you the number that I saw, but I'm just curious about what number you saw. How many different data points do you think a company like Facebook has on an individual? Yeah. I forget the exact numbers. I think I heard something like 26,000 data points per person. Um, uh, I'm not sure if you had a number that you'd seen. I, I'm, I'm not positive on that one. Yeah, the number that I saw, which isn't far off when you think about it, it was I think it was like 29,000, so which is you know basically in the same same ballpark. But I didn't, you know, when I saw that number the first time, I was thinking, I didn't know that I had 29,000 data points on myself, right? <laughs> I mean, right, like, and it, so... Any website that has a Facebook like button on it, so I'm not saying any, not that you've clicked on it, but if there is a Facebook like button on the website that is available for you to click is being tracked and fed back to Facebook as a data point around, oh, so-and-so visited this website. Maybe they're interested in this. And it's being added to your digital profile, your digital model. Um, and that's what's being used to target you. And to create this sort of reverse engineered model of who you are or who, who your digital self is. You know, in the film, we have this narrative storyline that unfolds. And one of the big things that we, we try to bring to life with that is this concept of a digital avatar for each and every person on the planet. 
that they have collected and created a model of us that they're also testing on on a regular basis that they are actually actively testing to see will this work on you will that work on you maybe this will work maybe oh you expressed interest in this maybe this other content is similar and at the same time they're testing you in comparison to other people that are similar so oh because you liked this particular thing there are 38,012 you know people who liked that thing as well maybe you'll like this other thing that those other people liked and maybe uh, maybe we can get you to buy this other thing this is why, you know, a lot of people say, oh, Facebook's listening with their microphone. They're not actually listening with their microphone. Uh, the truth is actually scarier in that they have built a model of you that is so accurate that they know the things that you're going to be thinking about and talking about. And they can show you things that they have a high predictability that you're going to engage with. That's frightening to me. Like that's a mind boggling. They have created this parallel universe where they have these digital puppets of all of us and they're testing against all of us. Um, and, and once again, this entire infrastructure is not built to make society function better. It's not built to increase civil discourse. It's not built for our needs as human beings. It's built around a business model. It's built around how do we leverage this information to be able to sell you more stuff or to get you to spend more time or to get another advertisement in front of you. And it could be selling you a physical product actually, or it could be an idea. And this is where we've really seen these platforms that were designed with good intent, but have been manipulated by malicious actors. Um, it's, it's a, you know, we have a line in the film, Roger McNamee says, he basically says Facebook, um, he basically says, Russia didn't hack Facebook. They just used it. And we're seeing that exact game plan repeated now in our upcoming election. That is true. Um, in the film, you had a cast of people playing themselves. Um, you had Tristan Harris, Azaraskin, uh, Justin Rosenstein, uh, Jaron Lanier, who I interviewed a few months ago for a Bloomberg television special, just really bright people. And as I was watching them talk about, you know, being an ethical designer and, you know, all their different roles that they played at these major corporations. Did the folks have any like NDAs that prevented them from talking about the inner workings or how did you get that? How did, how did they get, how were they able to do that? Yeah, it's a really great question. Uh, first of all, it was very, very difficult to get people that were willing to speak on the record. Um, and so that was a, a huge pursuit for quite a while. Um, se uh, separately, like there are some people that we know had non-disparaging agreements um, about certain companies. Um, some of them were able to work around that by not saying anything specific about that company, but speaking more about the broad issue at hand. Um, but it was it was a huge challenge to get people to um, be comfortable speaking on the record about this. Uh, there were a number of people where it took many, many months of conversation to try to convince them, you know, this is what we're trying to do. Please take, take a part in this. Um, and every time we got, you know, another person on camera, it just sort of helped that case and helped the argument around, look, X, Y, and Z, these, all of these people took part and, and we'd really love to have your voice included as well. So was, was their inner goal to say, yeah, I was part of this and I want to come clean? I can't speak on behalf of everybody. Um, but I think for some of them that, that might've been the case of wanting to, uh, in some cases, just like, I know a truth about these companies that. Um, weighs down on me, or uh, I know a truth about these companies that just needs to be told and understood and, and made available to the public. Um, so there, 
you know, I can't speak for anybody's individual reasoning, um, but there were a lot of people who ultimately did take part and, and did want their story on the record. Well, I tell you, I was, it was fascinating to hear it firsthand. I mean, you know, reading an article or seeing something online or, you know, just talking to your friends about it, but actually having somebody who was in the trenches and saying, yeah, this is why that button is there. I also loved it when you showed Shark Tank, the episode of Shark Tank. And what was it? It was a, a kitchen safe product. How did that come about? So Tim Kendall, um, uh, a man who built the business model at Facebook and then went on to go become president at Pinterest. Uh, he himself, that comes exactly from his personal narrative. He was so addicted to his own phone, hiding in his pantry, you know, just so he can check messages and hide from his kids so he can use his phone. And, you know, he had this realization that this is ridiculous and absurd. And he, he and his wife were both feeling this pull to their devices. And they literally bought this device for themselves to lock their phone in this kitchen safe just so they can get time with their family. And when Tim told us that story, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is it's crazy. Like even being somebody who designed the stuff and was an executive there and knew how it worked and knew what was going on he was still vulnerable. Like he couldn't get away from it. And that's just like a really powerful testament. This stuff works on everybody, right? If you think, oh, I can outsmart it or what have you, like it works on all of us. I still on a daily basis, I've removed basically all social media from my life. And I still feel the pull of the phone and certain apps and certain technologies, certain notifications. Um, and so it's really, really hard to control that. Um, for me, the process of making this film has been one of the biggest mental shifts that I think I ever could have gone through. Uh, the awareness of when am I in my own, like when is my time revolving around my thoughts, my intentions, my aspirations versus when am I being pulled into something else and what somebody else wants? I mean, it is so easy. I think we've all fallen victim to a YouTube rabbit hole or a Facebook rabbit hole or, you know, you go to check one thing and two hours go by and you're like, what the hell just happened? right? We, we've had that experience and we, we don't really know why. And, and we can, you know, it's this, we can think it's this innocent passive thing. Okay. I, I watched two hours of videos on, you know, whatever, you know, whatever was working on you. I actually feel like, you know, if you look at somebody's computer and you look at the things on the right hand side, all the, the thumbnails of all the suggested videos, it feels like, you know, looking in, in somebody's closet, it feels like that personal, like I'm, you're going through somebody's dirty laundry. Um, it is like a real intimate portrayal of like what's making you tick right now and what you're going back to YouTube for. Um, but yeah, it, going into somebody's YouTube, um, you know, recommendations feels like you're looking at their dirty laundry. It's just, it's like this really intimate reverse engineering of your brain. And, um, this process has really made me so much more aware of um, when am I doing something with my own intention? Um, am I paying for this product? Um, is it serving me? Am I the customer? Right? So if I'm doing a FaceTime or a Zoom call and I can have a conversation with somebody, that's a really great use of technology. If I get notifications that come in from a social media app that pull me in and suck me in and I'm like doom scrolling or just you know scrolling for hours on end, is that really how I intentionally want to use my time or not? Um, when we were working on the making of this movie, I became so aware when we were doing the writing and the editing 
I was very, very aware of when a notification would interrupt my thinking, when it would interrupt my flow, when it would interrupt um, what I was trying to accomplish. And it, it certainly has a way to do that. I mean, you have to, you, you have to turn it off. You've got to be able to focus. And, you know, you, you speak of social media. I mean, I, I got rid of my personal Facebook account years ago. I mean, we still have it for the site and we still have it for the company. We still have it for the show and you know, everything like that. But, you know, fortunately, I have somebody on staff who takes care of all that. But when we start looking at generations for just a second, you have millennials, Generation X, you have the baby boomers. Um, is it the same across all generations as far as what people are seeing? Um, there, there are similarities and differences uh, that we're spotting in different generations. First of all, I think, you know, if you're, uh, I'm 36 years old and I remember a world before social media and I remember the calmness and the rationality and the, uh, et cetera, the, the lack of polarization as we feel now. But I also remember like the mental headspace, the ability to just daydream freely, um, the not feeling this need to fill every single moment of your life with some stimulus on a phone. Um, so I think there is a generation um, that remembers what it used to be like. And, and in some cases, many people who just never opted into these platforms and never wanted to get on social media. But the scariest part is the younger generation that grew up in this, and this is all they've ever known. And this is the reality. And this is the back, you know, the backbone of our civilization that we're in now. And this is the normal default state where we're seeing an increased rate of self-harm and suicide, particularly in young girls, um, where body image comparison is really, really high, where the social um, connections, like teenagers are learning, uh, you know, their brains aren't fully developed yet. And they're still going through this growing phase in life and, and in, their, in their brain development and learning social cues. And so we've had these huge, huge shifts that are happening in our society. And we're just now starting to see all the consequences. You know, I see that with my son. And it drives me crazy is that he's on Instagram or Snapchat or whatever, TikTok. And there is a constant comparison when, you know, over the years, of course, I've always told me, you know, just their life is not perfect. Okay. <laughs> They're not putting the bad stuff online. But I also see that he's always has to be stimulated. I mean, I'm bored. Okay. Well, it's okay to be bored. Why don't you just go sit outside and look? And I mean, and he is, he's a sophomore at USA. I mean, and so obviously he's a bright guy and obviously he, you know, has had a, a you know, a, a good GPA and well-rounded and all that other good stuff to get into such a school. But I do worry about what moves forward and how it moves forward because it, these are unrealistic expectations. Like he'll show me like this kid, this kid in Russia who's wearing all these designer clothes and is driving a Maserati or a Lamborghini or whatever it is. And I'm like, I don't know how he's paying for it. <laughs> number one. And number two is that, that, that who knows what's behind the curtain there. And it is very, you know, it's, it's very disheartening to see this because I, like you, I'm wondering like, what is this going to be in 10 years? Because now we have little kids. I mean, I'm talking about, you know, there's that family that everybody loves on the internet, the bucket list family. Okay. 
where they, they parade around the world and everything's always good. Well, you know, my niece was showing me their account the other day, and their one-year-old has their own Instagram account oh with 330,000 followers. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like, that is absurd. I'm like, yeah, it's it's absolutely ludicrous. I mean, but, that that this is where we're going. Yeah. Um, so a couple of thoughts on this. So um, one of the things is when you are engaging with these highly dopamine stimulating platforms that are constantly feeding us dopamine, our brain calibrates to a new baseline. And when you don't have that dopamine stimulus, you're actually in a dopamine deficit state. And it feels like like you're missing out and you're constantly seeking um, that that dopamine state that has become the new norm for you. So that's like, there's a very, very um, interesting, we we're, I'm hoping to release some additional footage from the film soon um, because we have so many amazing interviews with all these uh, experts uh, that could talk to a lot of these different aspects. So some of the stuff that we weren't able to fit in the film, we are hoping to release. Um, but what you just pointed out about, you know, a, a family that's traveling and just showcasing this, this, you know, amazing uh, life that was something that actually made me want to stop using social media all the more. I started to realize, okay, I'm a filmmaker and I went to this film festival and I'm here at this red carpet event. And, oh, I took a selfie with this celebrity and I posted this photo with the celebrity. And, and I realized like, why did I do that? I actively went out of my way to go introduce myself to this person I've never met before just to take a photograph just to post it on social media, just because I knew I was going to get a whole bunch of likes, right? Just, you know, oh, this one's going to get a lot of likes. And, and the comparison that other people then feel when they're looking at my life from the outside and think, oh, wow, look at how amazing, blah, blah, blah. And oh, that festival and that red carpet. And I'm not posting when I'm down and depressed. I'm not posting when I'm feeling lonely or when I'm feeling sad or any of these other things that are a huge part of, of life. And yet we've created this system that just is a, it's like everybody's showcasing their highlight reels. And that has a huge impact on, on, on people that are quote unquote following you. Like literally we've just created this society of followers that are comparing and, and feeling down about themselves if they, like, like as you were saying about your son. I, you know, I like that idea. We're only going to show you the highlights reel. We're not going to show you any of the outtakes, any of the bad scenes, anywhere the makeup looked horrible or you just looked at the camera wrong. And that's the difference between a real friendship and a Facebook friendship, right? Facebook has stolen the word friend from our society um, in that the thousands of friends that I have on Facebook, I barely know most of them. And my actual friends, the people that I, you know, if I'm having a hard day, who am I going to pick up the phone and call and process? And those are the people that, that see the other stuff. They, they're the ones who see the dark times. Like, those are your friends. Um, how, how do we help uh, our teenagers go through this kind of reflection and recognize just how warped the system is that they unfortunately are living in right now, right? These, these platforms were not designed by child psychologists to help improve children and youth through these developmental phases in their life. They were designed by for-profit corporations that have been building tools for capitalism by capitalists that have unintended consequences on, on civilization. And, and, you know, and that's the key point, Jeff, is that it's all about the money. You have to follow the money train. 
Um, because at the end of the day, you know, people are programming the algorithms. AI is not doing that yet. And so because people are programming the algorithms, because they're trying to optimize the bottom line to figure out even more ways that they can now, big tech even can get more people online, that's why they're putting satellites in the sky and balloons, even balloons, to get Internet access in places that there is no way for them to to get their footprint at this point. Hey, don't forget, if you've got a good question about something digital, you can get Kim's unbiased advice and it's advice that you can trust. America's digital pro, Kim Commando, and our nationally syndicated radio show. You just go to commando.com, and in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Be a Caller button. We're going to ask you your name and for a couple of details about your question. We'll set up a time where you can be on the show, ask your question on the show. It is fun. You can call your friends and let them know that you're going to be on the show. And that's, again, the Be a Caller button in the upper right at commando.com. Still to come, the social dilemma is making waves on Netflix and social media, but what effects might it be having on the home or in the home next on Tech You Should Know? I I read a review that was actually critical of your film um, over at The Verge. The the writer mustn't have had kids because... He, he was critical of you showing kids not being able to put Snapchat or Instagram down, which anybody who has a child or has seen a child, you know, has said, you know, where the mother and I've been guilty of it, too, where I've said, here, just watch this for five minutes, you know, while I get something done. Have you had any other people that have been critical of it? Oh, there have been um, criticisms for sure. Um uh, and I, uh, I'm not sure. I think there are one or two pieces out on the verge. Um, so I'm not sure which one you're referencing, but, um, I think the criticisms fall in a couple different categories, some around the issue, some around the filmmaking. Um, I think the part of it, there have been a handful of people that have said, Oh, we know this already. Like nothing's new here. <laughs> and my response to that is like, okay, you're, you're proving my point. First of all, in that you're in the filter bubble that has been talking about this issue where a small portion of the internet is very aware of surveillance capitalism and the manipulative techniques and what's been going on here for a long time and all the power to them for having that conversation already. But I think a lot of the general public doesn't know that. Um, And I think some people are, are still of this mindset of like, Oh, it's not that big a deal. We've had advertising forever and it's not a big deal. This is a very, very different form of advertising. This is a completely new species of advertising. Like, it's not a billboard that we all see and can have a shared conversation and shared values and say, oh, that's an inappropriate billboard or not, or that makes sense or not. Um, This is now, we have an infinite billboard making machine in each of our individual pockets that follows you around. And everybody gets their own customized billboards um, all the time. And they're constantly learning and constantly changing and being filled in in real time based on Whoever the highest bidder is, like literally whoever's bidding the most for somebody like you. And we've entered this world where different people are worth different amounts of money on these platforms and different socioeconomic like statuses are, are generating more or less money for the platforms based on who they are and being fed, by the way, different opportunities because of that. Some people are seeing ads for houses on sale. Other people are seeing the community college. Um, 
this is a this is a landscape that has turned human civilization into commodities like we're just being sold and we are being sold and and it's interesting because all of that pre-bitter heading uh all these auction of whatever that that ad is it all happens like the stock exchange it happens in nanoseconds before anybody even even notices that it's even there i think what's interesting just on a perspective is that okay so you're you know you're the guy behind the film and everything else but in my household, you know, obviously we're all very, very computer literate, technical literate. I mean, you know, this is our lives. But I thought it was interesting just to give you a perspective. So we turned it on. And like I said, my 19-year-old son, Ian, was watching it with me and my husband. And Ian had a different perspective because he was, I wouldn't say alarmed, because he knew it was happening. But he didn't know how pervasive it was, Okay. Uh, I was I was watching it from a, from the monetary perspective because that's where my head goes, and I was also you know interested on on how you put together the docudrama part of it, which I thought was really fascinating to put the algorithms on on display as well. My husband uh, is older than I am, and while we were having this discussion, because we'd pause it and talk for a second, is he said, well, you know. Gosh, you know, we've been doing that for years in America. This is like television. I mean, we've all seen ads on television. And then Ian jumped up and looked at him and said, no, 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 no. This is like a TV ad that follows you around and changes every time you look a different way. And so I really have to commend you because you're really, I really think you did a superb job. Really, and I don't throw a compliment. I mean, anybody who works with me, they can tell you. She never says anything. <laughs> she doesn't throw a compliment. But you did such a great job in driving the point home. Really, congratulations on that. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That means so much to hear. And just hearing the conversation that you have with your family, right, that's the reason why we made this film in the first place, um, to, to bring light to the subject, to have people talk about it, to have people question and recognize like why do i think what i think how do i interact with these devices um what am i in control of or what's controlling me um and i think your your son's observation is exactly spot on um this is not you know the the advertising model on television is also part of the problem in my mind but the uh, social media platforms are just far more effective at it because it's customized because it's individualized because they have access to you 24-7, basically, right? These devices are attached to us in our pockets all the time. Um, so it is, it's a completely different landscape. Well, Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us the, the backstory on the film. Again, it's called The Social Dilemma, and it's on Netflix. Thank you so much. Boy, it does make you think, doesn't it? Well, a special thanks goes out to Netflix's PR folks for putting us together with Jeff Orlowski in quick notice. And of course, Jeff himself, because of his drive, we know more about social media's grip on our lives. And also to the great production folks over at Commando.com, Cassidy Zimrick for her editing skills, and Mike James, my tech director for, gosh, 18 years now. I love him so much, even though he does wear a fanny pack. And thank you for listening. And if you like this podcast, share it out, especially... I want you to share it on your social media feed. And if you're looking for the three-hour National Kim Commando show, there's only one place you can get that. It's a paid podcast. You get it over at GetKim.com. It's just a few bucks a month, and we give discounts for military, vets, seniors, service personnel. 
And again, you get 30 days free over at GetKim.com. Once again, that's GetKim.com for our three-hour podcast with the National Radio Show. And as always, I really appreciate your support of all of our programming and everything that we do. Because without you, I don't know what I would be doing. I'm Kim Commando, and thank you again.